We're coming near to the end of Ephesians 5. We have just a couple of sermons left. We're going to take pretty big chunks here. Uh, these last couple of passages will go quickly. And then um, looking at what to do in the new year, potentially uh, going to go into the book of Ecclesiastes. So be praying uh, that God would lead us uh, where he wants us to go in the new year. But we'll be wrapping up Ephesians before you know it. So let's dig in and look at 5. We're going to actually take 1 through 21. That's kind of a long passage. So do your best to stick with me and follow along as I read. I'll read and then we'll look at it together. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral and impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of, of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, pay careful attention then how do you, to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is your word chosen for us to hear this morning. God, I ask that you would open our hearts and as we look at, at, at a passage that challenges us in many ways, but also calls us to uh, things that we already desire to do for you, I pray that you would give us discernment, help us to see your word clearly. God, help us to put aside any defensiveness and to allow ourselves to be exposed by your word today. And God, I pray that you would bring in grace, grace for the forgiveness of the sins we've already committed, and grace to grow and to commit those sins less and less as we come closer to you. That's what I ask for today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is, if we want a little bit of context as we've been going through Ephesians, uh, there are, this is the third of three what I'm calling therefore passages. Passages that the first three books of, uh, first three chapters of the book kind of set up the last three chapters by telling us the gospel, reminding us of what Jesus has done for us. And then in the, in the second half of the book, the last three chapters, Paul calls us to live in response to the gospel message. 
And so the question we've been answering for the past few weeks is, how should we live our lives in light of the gospel? And Paul kind of divides this into some sections, and those sections all begin with the word therefore. The first one was that we were therefore, meaning in light of the gospel, therefore live lives worthy of the calling we have received. That's how Paul said it in uh, the beginning of chapter 4. Then a little bit later, and we talked about what that means. We talked about what it means to live worthy and some of the things specifically that Paul calls us to in that passage to be united in, in purpose and mission for Christ, to be united in the use of the gifts that God has given to each of us for the building up of the church. That is what it means. Those are some of the things of what it means to live worthy of the calling we've received. And then the next section was that we are therefore to not live like those who are without Jesus or like we used to live before we had Jesus. And now we come to this third passage, which is this, therefore live like Jesus. So therefore live worthy of the calling, therefore don't live like you used to or like those who don't have Jesus. And now finally, therefore live like Jesus as imitators of God. The main idea that I want to try to drive home today, and this is the first thing that you'll see on the handout if you choose to fill in the blanks, is that Jesus modeled for us how to live and we're called to imitate him. Simple enough. One of those things that's easier said than done though, as, we, as perhaps you already picked up on as I read through this passage, there are some, some strong callings in this passage. To live as imitators of God, to live as Jesus lived, is not an easy calling. Jesus lived the perfect life. He came from heaven to earth and he lived without sin. Paul says, just do that. (laughs) But Jesus models for us how to live and we are called to imitate him. This really is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christ follower. In fact, I, I had a pastor when I was in Bible college at the church that I went to. He, he didn't use the word Christian. His, the, his way of saying Christian was always Christ follower. He always called us to be Christ followers. And I like that a lot. I'm not, I'm not disciplined enough with my language to, to do that. But I, I think there's a real strength to that. Because culturally speaking, Christian can mean a lot of things. There are a lot of what we call nominal Christians, people who are Christians just in name only. They, they identify as Christians. They, they, if, if they have to pick a religion, Christianity is their religion. But they're not Christ followers. Well, in biblical terms, there's really no separation of the two. To be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. To be a Christ follower is to be a Christian. We are, another term that the Bible uses is to be disciples. Those are students of of Jesus, those who learn from him, not just to acquire knowledge, but to learn how to live, to imitate him. That's what it was to be a disciple. That's what it is to be a disciple, to be imitators of Christ. And so when when Paul says here that we are to be imitators of God, that's, that's every Christian's calling. That we would be Christ followers. One of Jesus' first commands when he started his public ministry was follow me. He just simply said to those that he was calling to be his followers, follow me. 
And when, when Jesus calls us to himself and when we receive the salvation that he offers, that command is the same for every believer. Follow me. Live like I live. Do as I do. Think as I think. Speak as I speak. Be imitators of God. We're called to be Christ followers. Verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. I said a few sermons ago that, that Paul kind of lays down his credentials when he, when he transitions from theology to how we are to live. He reminds them of who he is, that he is, he is the Apostle Paul. He's the one who is in chains for Christ. And in fact, he wrote this letter to the Christians at Ephesus from prison. And he's, he's, he's not shy about reminding of the, them of that. He's letting them know that his, his words should be heeded. He's putting his, his weight, his clout behind his words because, and this is what I said a few weeks ago, because he's going to ask them to do some difficult things. If you, if you have to have a difficult conversation with somebody that you care about, where, where and you're going to ask them to do something that might be hard for them, it's not unusual to, to preface it with saying, hey, you know I love you, right? And you know I wouldn't do anything to, to hurt you. Sometimes we do that with our kids. Hey, you, you know, I just want to remind you how much I love you. I'm your father. I, I really care about what happens to you. And that's why I'm going to say these things. So you, you kind of put some of your weight in front of the words that you're going to say because what you're about to ask them to do is difficult. That is what we have here. Paul is asking us to do something not only difficult but impossible. To be like Jesus to live as he lived, yet that's the mark that he sets. It says, live like Jesus. Walk in love as Christ also loved us. I am to love like Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. That is meant to remind us that Jesus died for us. That's how far his love took him. He sacrificed himself. He went the whole way to the cross. He laid down his life. Love like that. Love like Jesus. Walk in love as Christ also loved, who gave himself for us. Okay, so we see here, there's a couple of things I want to pull out of those, out of verses two, two and three here. Our motivation for imitating him is our status as dearly loved children. Our motivation for imitating him is our status as dearly loved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. That's a good reminder. We're not, we're not minion. We're not programmable robots. We're not slaves. We're not constituents only. We're dearly loved children. Sons and daughters of the king. Princes and princesses. Those whom he dearly loves. 
Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. John 1.12, this won't be on the screen. You can just listen as I read it. It says, to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. To all who received him, to everyone who believes in his name, he gives the right to be children of God. Think about the weight of that title, to be a child of God. To belong to him as dearly loved children. It's important to stop and think about how we get there because we're not all there. We're certainly not born into this world as children of God. We are his creation with the intention of becoming his children. But we, we are by birth opposed to him. We are, we are not children of God, but we are children of wrath because we are born as sinners into this world. But there is an opportunity to be transferred from being children of wrath to children of God. And that opportunity comes through receiving and believing. Those who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, there's a lot of different ways that the Bible describes our response to the gospel. There's several different ways that, that, that the Bible says we come to faith and that we come to become children of God. I, I think these are, these are two very helpful ones to think about. What does it mean to receive and believe? Well, to receive, there's, there's in, I think, implied in that a submission in order to receive Jesus, we're receiving him as Lord. We're receiving him as Savior. And to receive him as Lord and Savior, first of all, we have to understand and, and, and admit that he is above us. He is the Lord, therefore he can be my Lord. And that he is my Savior, meaning I need a Savior. I can't do this on my own. I've not, I've not done this life well enough to be okay before God. There's, there's an, a necessary understanding that you and I deserve punishment from God in order to receive him. If we don't come to that point, if we don't think we need his forgiveness, if we don't think we need his grace and his mercy, then we don't receive him. We might believe the message. We might believe that he existed. We might believe that he that he did the things that the Bible says, but I, I don't know what that, how that applies to me because I'm doing okay. But God has a way of, of preparing our hearts for the gospel where we come to this point in life where we, we start to realize, you know what, I'm not doing okay. I really do need a Savior. If I'm going to stand before God in judgment one day, I don't want to do that in my in my own right, my own merit. I don't want to stand before him and give an explanation for the things that I've done and the way that I've done them because I know I will be found guilty. And so we come to this point where we realize that we need a Savior and that is, that is, that is, a, pres that is a, a precedent that needs to be set in order to receive him as the Savior of our souls. So we receive him and we believe in his name. We believe that he, he can, he will, and he wants to save sinners. We believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient, that he did it for us, and that if we believe in him, we will be saved. 
To believe is to have faith. And the Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please him without faith. You cannot please him without believing. You cannot be right with God without believing in him and believing the truth of the gospel. And so it's all who receive him and who believe in his name whom he gives the right to become children of God. Our motivation, I said, for imitating him is our status as dearly beloved children. We want to obey. We want to imitate. We want to be more like him. We want to live the way he calls us to live because he loves us as children, because he has saved us. You cannot reverse the order. You will not want to obey out of proper motivation unless you have become children, unless you have believed and received. When we come to God thinking that we will obey him apart from receiving and believing what Jesus has done for us, we come to him in our own flesh, by our own merits, in our own ability. When we reverse that, we say, because you have made me a child, because you have given me the right to become a child of God and given me the, the gospel which I have received and believed in, now that is the proper motivation for imitating him. It's out of our status as dearly loved children that we want to live for him. Okay, next thing on the handout. The overarching idea of imitating Jesus is to walk in love. We're still in verse 2, okay? The overarching idea of imitating Jesus is to walk in love. Verse 2 Verse 1 says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Verse 2 says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So there's going to be some some real specifics. We already read the passage, so you know that. We're going to get to some, some real down and dirty specifics. But there's an overarching idea over all of that, over everything that we do in terms of imitation of Jesus that really can be summarized in this idea of walking in love. For if we walk in love, we'll do all the things that Jesus commands us to do. And anytime we do something that is sinful or that is contrary to what he wants to do, we have left love. When we're walking contrary to love. And so the overarching idea of imitating Jesus is to walk in love. This is consistent throughout the New Testament. Let me show you a couple of passages where it talks about how if we walk in love, we will fulfill and obey all the commandments that God has for us. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let me just pause there for a second. If you Just think about verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. If you do not love, you do not know God. If you do not love, you have not come to a saving knowledge of God. Because he, to know him is to know love because God is love. So the one who does not love does not know God. Verse 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son 
to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Very similar theme to our passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. So here we have another one of the apostles. Paul says it in Ephesians 5. John, who was one of the apostles who walked with Jesus, says it here in 1 John chapter 4. If, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. In other words, imitate him. Love, walk in love. That is, that is the overarching idea of how God loves us, and it's the overarching idea of how God calls us to love him and to love each other, is that we walk in love, that we, that we love the way he loves us. That's a heck of a calling. Because God sacrificed that which was most precious to him. To display his love toward us. We don't love each other that way. We just don't. At, on our better days, we sacrifice what we consider disposable. Whether it's time or, or our attention or, or resources. We rarely sacrifice that which we really don't want to let go of in order to display love. If we have a little extra time, we might go. If we have a little extra energy, if we have a little extra money, we might go out of our way to show love to the people around us. God sacrifices that which is most precious to him. That's the standard that he sets for love. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. If God loved us, I mean, I, I think the, one of the challenges perhaps that we face in 2019 going into 2020 is that we're some 2,000 years removed from what Jesus did on the earth. And so it, it's, it, it seems somewhat impersonal to us at times, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. But when we stop and think about the fact that Jesus left heaven came to earth, lived among us. I don't, I don't know that we have anything to properly compare that to. If you were to take, let's assume that your life is fairly comfortable like mine is. Let's assume you have a decent home to live in and uh, generally you're not exposed to the elements all the time. You know, it's very cold out there today. Most of us will have warm places to spend the day. You have a bed, I assume, to sleep in. Let's assume you've got a fairly comfortable life. If I were to ask you to, to sacrifice, let's say, 90% of that for, I don't know, 10 days. I want you to, instead of living in the home that you live in that's comfortable and warm, that has your bed and where you keep your food in the fridge and all that, I want you to just go and live out on the streets and just deal with the elements and, and find ways to, to come up with food other than walk into the fridge and, and, and just find ways to survive. You would be eager to get back to your home, would you not? In fact, when we go to, uh, on this trip... Um, to Juarez in a few weeks. I went there a couple of years ago. And 
you know, there's a lot of different, Juarez is a very poor town, and where we're going to be at in the city, um, it's particularly impoverished, and there really just aren't a lot of the comforts that we're used to in the environment we live in here. It's a, it's a difficult place to spend a few days. It's not overly difficult. I don't want to discourage anybody from going. It's very doable. Um, but last, the overwhelming impact it had on me last time I was there was just gratitude. Gratitude. There are different responses that you can have as people who live in a comfortable culture like this going into an uncomfortable culture. And sometimes people, sometimes people just feel so bad um, and, and feel guilty and, and feel um, yeah, probably just guilty. Like, like they feel ashamed of what they have. I felt things like that at times, but that time, the last time I was there, I just felt gratitude. I just felt thankful um, for the things that I have. And I felt thankful that this, the God who sustains me is the God who sustains them and cares for them, even in their seemingly more difficult circumstances. I'm saying all of that because I, I just want us to stop and get to thinking about what it means to, to go from good to worse. To change our circumstances for the worse. To give up things. If we, begin, if we begin to apply that to what Jesus did, now we cannot, we, we've not been to heaven, we've not been Jesus, we don't, we, I mean, I, you almost can multiply this times infinity if that were possible. Jesus left heaven. He was in heaven. As God, part of the Trinity, which existed from all of eternity, before time even was made, he was in heaven. He needed nothing. He was, he was in a, I mean, it's impossible for God to be discontent in the way we understand discontent. He's complete. He has all that he needs. He was there in heaven. He gave that up. And he came and he lived among us as a man, limiting himself. Now, we're getting into things. We, I don't think we have any ability to understand whatsoever. The only point I want to make out of that is that Jesus made a great sacrifice. And that God the Father made a great sacrifice in sending Jesus the Son. And he came and he did that for us. He came to be, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Far beyond the less comfortable circumstances of living on earth versus heaven is what Jesus did on the cross when he becomes our atoning sacrifice. That means to be an atoning sacrifice. First of all, Jesus had to be perfect, which he was. He lived the perfect life without sin to qualify him to be the atoning sacrifice. If there were any imperfection in him at all, he would have been an insufficient sacrifice. But as it was, he lived the perfect life. To be the atoning sacrifice, that meant he had to absorb upon himself all of God's wrath for sin. All of God's wrath for all of sin. He had to take upon himself the punishment 
that you and I have earned through our disobedience and our rebellion against God. And he had to bear it on his own body. And that punishment was so severe that Jesus, before he went to the cross, knowing full well that if he didn't do what he was about to do, that everything he had done up to that point would be insufficient. Knowing full well that this was the very moment that he came to earth for, but perhaps in a display of his humanity, he, he asked the Father if there's any other way. If there's any other way, we can do this. But yet, out of perfect obedience, he humbled and submitted himself. And he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross, and he suffered, and he paid the price for our sins. And the suffering was so great that, that Jesus, the Son of God, one of the three members of the Trinity, our triune God, cried out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know what that means exactly other than the God who is eternally one experienced separation in some sense. That at least in that one moment Jesus felt what it was like to be separated from God the Father. Something I don't think was ever experienced in, in the Trinity before. And that is but an indication to us of how severe his suffering was for us. If God, dear friends, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. That's, that's the precedent that God sets for us, that he loves that sacrificially. And now he says, well, now we should love one another. That's the mark that he sets for us, okay? So our love to, for each other and our love toward God is a response to his love for us. Let me show you one more. I'm still under this, this, this point, the overarching idea of imitating Jesus is to walk in love. In Matthew 22... Verses 36 through 40. I'm going to have to pick up the pace a little bit here. So I'll read this quickly. It says here in verse 36, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? That's something that Jews loved debate, to debate. They would, they would have these conversations about which of the commandments in the Old Testament, of the hundreds of commandments, which one's the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 40. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. The overarching idea of imitating Jesus is to walk in love. When we walk in love, we fulfill all of the commands of Christ. Because if we're doing what love would do, then we're doing the right thing. When we don't do what love would do, we're sinning. And now we're going to see some examples of what it means to walk not in love, but perhaps in the desires of our, of our, our the selfish desires of our own flesh. Love separates us. This is the next point on the handout. Love separates us from the works 
of the disobedient. I'll show you that in the next couple of verses. Jot that down real quick. I don't know if that's, if I'm having an issue or what. Love separates us from the works of the disobedient. Okay, if you've got that down, let me go to verse 3. Here's where he's going to get real specific. Broad general idea, walk in love, now let's talk specifics. And this is where it gets uncomfortable. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Again, saints are all believers. In, in the biblical use of the word saints, that's all believers, okay? That's us. It's not proper to even be heard of among us. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's a tough verse. When I was reading this passage and preparing uh, for this week, I became uncomfortable. And what I wanted to do was to I was like, I just wanted grace. I wanted to just find grace in here. I wanted to find grace. And then what I, what I realized was I always do that. I always want to find the grace. I always want to take the tough, the tough passages, the tough commands, the tough statements in Scripture and just soak them in grace. And I don't think that I'm wrong for doing that. But as I was looking for grace in here, and it just, it, honestly, it just, the screws just get tighter as we read here. I realized I just needed to stop and feel that. I just needed to stop and, and, and let that sink in. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Sexual immorality, any impurity, that's devastating. Maybe you're like, well, I'm not involved in sexual immorality, but any impurity, I probably don't escape that one. Greed, we're all... Greedy to some degree. I mean, I'm not greedy like hoarding wealth because I don't ever encounter wealth in order to hoard it. Um, but I'll say this. If you and I went out to lunch today and the, and the waitress brought three slices of pizza, I'd be like, I'm walking out of here with at least two. You know, <laughs> like I'm that kind of greedy at the very least, right? Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking, not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. What those sins deserve is banishment from the kingdom of Christ. Those who participate in those sins have not earned their place in heaven. So 
So where does that leave us? And here's where I think it, I, I, this, and this is what I, so I just repented. As I read this passage, I thought this is just an opportunity to repent. I don't live up to the standard set by Jesus. That's what this reminded me. Left to my own, I have no hope of entering in the kingdom of heaven. Now we take this verse and now we can take it in the context of the gospel which teaches us that no one is righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And apart from the blood of Jesus, no one is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Apart from the mercy and the grace that is shown to us in Jesus Christ, that those who, who receive him, who believe in his name, are given the right to become children of God, none of us get there. He goes on to say in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are, in the, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord." So don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What I think Paul is, is saying here is that the things that are condemning people to hell... The things that we have the same opportunity, even as children, dearly loved children, he said. As the things that we have the same opportunities to participate in are the things that are condemning people to hell. Are the things that are justifying the fact that God is not going to bring every human being into the kingdom of Christ. That rather he is going to cast many of them out of his presence for eternity. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Those things, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the greed, the obscene and foolish talking and crude joking and all of these things that he lists, and he's, he's, he's going to list some more. Don't become partners with the disobedient in those things. Don't live in darkness when you are called to be light. The way I said it on the handout, love separates us from the works of the disobedient. I'm, I'm just taking the language that he uses here and trying to be consistent. The disobedient being those who have, who have not received Christ, those who do not have salvation in Jesus, those who are going to be judged according to their sins, not according to the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. They do all of these things. And here's what Paul is aware of, that we as believers tend to do them alongside of them. And he's calling us out. That's not what it means to walk in love, to go on living as though we are among the disobedient. To go on living as though we have not been saved by Jesus' sacrifice. Therefore it is said, the last verse, 
Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Live as light, not as darkness. We are called out of the darkness. Next thing on the handout. We are called out of the darkness to live as light. We're called out of the darkness to live as light. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Don't live like darkness. That is an ongoing call. That is an ongoing battle that we are in. To constantly be putting away, to put aside the things of our flesh, the things, that, the things for which people will be condemned to an eternity apart from Christ. And instead live like Jesus did. Light or darkness. Light or darkness. Love or hate. Walk in love. When you're sexually immoral, you're not walking in love. When you're impure, you're not walking in love. When you're greedy, you're not walking in love. When you're using obscene and foolish talking or crude joking, you're not walking in love. You're not walking in love and you're not being light. We're called out of the darkness to live as light. Don't do what they do. We are the dearly loved children, imitators of Jesus. And I, by the way, as I say that, I, maybe, perhaps that, 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 that sounds as though, don't, don't take that to mean we are to look down on others. We are sinners saved by grace and we are called to invite them to the same salvation. It's not like we're better than them. It's that we've been rescued from that and we are to live seeking to rescue them as well. But to do that, we have to be light, not darkness. I think I said it last week in the sermon or recently. Um, we, can't, we can't change the world if we're living just like it. We're called to be light in a dark world. We're called to be imitators of Jesus. We are the dearly loved children. We are not those who are condemned. We are not those who, in verse 5, do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. We are those who do have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. We are those who will be with him in eternity. Therefore, live like it. Okay, let me get to verses. I got to get through 21 here. So let's pick up in 15. Pay careful attention then how to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. That's kind of, you know, when I was thinking, when I started this morning, I just want to encourage you to, Take in a little bit of the Christmas season. Enjoy where you're at. You know, over the uh, over Thanksgiving when I was together with my family, we busted out some old home videos. And in a lot of these videos, I was like six or seven. Um, I wasn't as cool then as I am now. I was a little more irritating then. <laughs> um, Man, it was really, it was just really cool to see um, like my grandparents who are no longer here and and family members who have. Uh, who's even maybe still here, but things have just changed. It just it was really cathartic to to just see um, something from the past in that way. But it was a reminder to me that you know we just don't know what next year will bring. We just don't know what we'll have next year. And Paul applies that same principle here to how we should live our lives, making the most of the time because the days are evil. That's a 
It's a unique way of saying it. And if nothing else, I think it gets our attention. I don't know exactly how to, to interpret that phrase, the days are evil. Um, but certainly Paul wants to have our attention here. And he wants to say, make the most of today. Make the most of the time. The saying, the, the saying that's been around a long time that we mentioned a few weeks ago, just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When I, when I leave here today, I'm going to go down to um, Presby Hospital in Pittsburgh. There's a friend of mine called me on Friday, um, and his, his mom collapsed unexpectedly at work on Friday. And uh, she's been unresponsive ever since. They have her on life support. And I believe today is the day they're going to encourage the family that it's time to remove her from life support. 54 years old, um, otherwise in good health. Uh, wonderful woman, wonderful family. And just as unexpectedly as can be, she's gone from them. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what life will be like next year. Make the most of the time now. Make the most of the time that you have today. To love and enjoy the people around you, yes, but also to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ. To be a witness, to be light in the darkness. Let that, let that urgency of we don't know how much time we have left fuel our desire to live as light. Why am I not going to be sexually immoral this week? Why am I not going to give way to various impurities? Why am I not going to let greed control my life or obscene and foolish talking and these things that Paul mentions? Because I, don't, I want to make an impact with my life. That's the, I'm saying that's the attitude that he's calling us to. Pay careful attention then to how you live. If you think about one thing throughout this week from this sermon, I, I would encourage you to make it verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you live. You'll hear us preach a lot of grace because I think Jesus gives us a lot of grace. But there is an important place in the life of us, uh, uh, an important place in our lives as believers to pay careful attention to how we live. To stop and to think about the, the impact of our actions on the people around us. To stop and to think about the, the secret sins that we hold on to and how they, are, how they are influencing whether we are living as light or participating in darkness. And the urgency for this is that we don't know how much time we have to make an impact. The days are evil. Verse 17 said, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And then here are the things that he calls us to. In contrast to all of those negative things that represent darkness, here is the light that he calls us to. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. To have attitudes that reflect the that our lives have been transformed by Jesus. That we give thanks, that we encourage each other, that we build one another up 
that we love each other in this way. And then he's, he ends with, in verse 21, he doesn't end because he's going to continue. We're ending with verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then and next week when we look at that passage, there, there are three specific relationships where Paul calls for submission. In the marriage relationship, in the parenting and, and child relationship, and I'm going to, between slaves and masters, but we'll see how I think that expands into uh, some of the other roles that we have as employees um, uh, and with our employers, and we'll try to apply that to our current situation. And so he's going to call us to live this out in a very unique way, which is through submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. That's part of what it means to, to live, to walk in love, and to live as Jesus, to be imitators of him. And so let me just encourage you this week as I, as I begin to wrap things up here, and the worship team can come up. Uh, and start to get ready to play. Pay careful attention then to how you live. What areas of your life specifically have, have been more reflective of the darkness that we've been called out of than the light that, we, that we've called to be? Maybe some of the areas that Paul calls out specifically, or maybe it's something else that that God has put his finger on in your own heart today, something that he's calling you to turn from. What I want to do is you think about that and as you take very serious, very seriously the implications of continuing to live in that versus coming out of it, I want to remind you of God's unbelievable mercy and grace. And so the last thing on the handout says this. In all of this, remember that we are saved by God's immeasurable grace and mercy, not by our own merit. In other words, if you're sitting here thinking, you know, boy, that's kind of heavy. I really don't. I, I, I've, I'm living in some of those things that were mentioned or, or some other things have come to mind that you're like, I'm just not living as light. Welcome to the club. You, me, and everybody else in this room. But we don't want to be content to say, well, just because everybody else is the same, that we're, it's okay to be, to continue on in those sins. We want to Pay careful attention to how we live. Not as unwise, but wise. So that we can make the most out of the lives that God has given us to live out here on earth. So that when we are with him in eternity, we can look back and say, it was worth it. It was worth it to cast off that darkness, to walk in the light, and to, to be his witnesses. In the hope that we would bring some other people with us. Let's go ahead and bow our, our, our heads, close our eyes in, in prayer. In this moment, before we begin singing again, in this moment, if God is just speaking to you about something that you need to turn from, take heed to that today. Do what I've been doing throughout the week and just, just be willing to pause and repent. Confess to him. We're not living as we should be. And having done that, be willing to humbly receive the mercy and grace that Jesus provides through his death on the cross for you. Jesus, I thank you that you 
loved us this much that you went to the cross to pay for our sins. And Jesus, I thank you that you don't allow us to remain comfortable in our sin, but you call us into the light. You call out, wake up, you sleeper the light of Christ shine on you. Jesus, would you shine your light on us? And would you shine your light through us as you call us to separate ourselves from the darkness that we are immersed in in this world? You you call us to stand out as light in a dark place, to walk in love God, give us the grace to do that more and more as we continue on in our walk with you. And God, help us to make the most of the time that we have here on earth. Not wasting a single day, but using these days that we don't know how many we have left and that we don't know how many of the people around us have left to make an impact for your kingdom that will last in all of eternity. And God, we as a church, we pray for the 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where we're at right now, most of whom don't know you as Savior. God, that we'd be light in this darkness and that you would rescue them, that you, the one who gives the right to become children of God to all who receive and believe, that you would cause them to receive and to believe. That through Redemption Church and through all of the churches who have embraced the gospel in this area, that your light would shine brightly in this community. And that you would save, graciously save sinners just like us. And grow our family of brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name.